You call my 
Thank you. You can be seated, please. Would you take the friendship folders that are right in front of you, the black folder? Just sign your name in there. We're glad to have you here today with us worshiping. Also, if you are a newcomer, first-time visitor, there is a gift for you at our Welcome Center if you want to stop, stop in the foyer. And it has a lot of information about the church and what did we do here. But we are so glad to have you here if this is your first time. Um, what's really exciting is our summer movie nights ended up being fabulous. We just had our last one this past Friday night. We saw the movie Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. It was a great night. The, the weather was perfect. Good, good people coming. And we were just so excited that um, those of you that were able to come were there. And um, we're looking forward to doing that next summer as well. Our MOPS meetings are going to be kicking off. It is The first meeting is Tuesday, September 8th. We meet every other Tuesday or twice a month. And this MOPS is for mothers of preschoolers. So if you are pregnant or have preschool children, we want you to check this out. It's all about moms and just really nurturing you and also just learning how to um, help you to just be a better mom, be a better wife, um, being the mom that God wants you to be. Wednesday night's coming up in just a couple weeks. We are going to be having a lot of activity around here. We have our Connect students over at our Straight Street building, the teenagers. We are going to have our children here, and we are going to have Clubhouse Kids. That's starting September 16th for children, I believe, preschool through fifth grade. Also, during those Wednesday night times when you drop off your children, we're going to have some adult small groups, which we're really excited about. A couple that we're going to be offering, and basically it's just to show up if you want to, or there's information if you want to make a phone call to find out more information. A big one that we're doing here is called Financial Peace University. And what that is, it's basically what it says. Finding peace in your finances, whether you're on track and want to do better, or whether you're in debt and you want to get out of debt, it is just a really good, um, good program that really has been very successful in helping. So Financial Peace University. The other ones that we're going to be offering, there'll be a women's Bible study led by Kelly Corey. There'll be a men's Bible study offered by Chuck Green. And there's some other ones that are coming up as well. So um, please, again, stop at the Welcome Center and get some information on those small groups. Our men's retreat is coming up September 11th through the 13th, and there is still time to sign up. So men, if you are looking for a great time away, I believe they're going to Deep Creek this year. Again, stop out in the foyer. Lots of information at that Welcome Center. Stop by and say hi to Wade and Nancy Baker, and they will give you the information that you need. Thank you. Veranda. Well, it's so good to see everybody in the Lord's house today. If you're happy to be here, say amen. I want to thank you so much for praying for me this last week. You know, last week I told you I'm taking this little trip down to Springfield, Missouri. Uh, that's the Bible College, the Baptist Bible College Joanne and I went to many years ago. And they asked me back to uh, be uh, their speaker for a few days in chapel and some of their classes. You prayed. I'll tell you, we did have a divine appointment down there. It was just terrific. I was telling people this morning, you know, it's so easy to speak to 350 students that are interested in being there. They're there for a purpose. They've paid their tuition. And uh, they were, they're just excited to learn, uh, like uh, Joanne and I were many years ago when we went to that Bible college. I, I want to thank you for praying. Uh, I met Caleb York's brother down there, AJ. Uh, he's actually the campus pastor of the Baptist Bible College. And so uh, he's a great kid. I met Caleb's sister down there. The whole, the whole York family seems to be down there. And uh, it was nice to uh, just see them, how they're serving the Lord in that place. Uh, I want to thank you so much for making our summer here at our church just terrific in every way. Uh, you have supported the church financially. You've done well. Uh, you've supported the church in the programs that we've had this summer, outreach here into our community. Uh, I just want to personally thank you for all of that because that means an awful lot to us. Uh, you know, it just seemed like yesterday we were saying, hey, let's get ready for summer. And now we're saying, let's get ready to say goodbye to summer. You know, falls right around the corner. We thank you so much for your participation in the church. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come, and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. You know, we always try to thank you for your help and support in the ministry. 
Uh, but we pause at a time like this to thank the Lord because he's the one that's made it all possible for us. So let's do that. Dear Lord, we thank you that we have the privilege of giving for your work today. We thank you for the strength and the energy you gave us this last week to go to work, to make a living, and now to come to provide a living for your church family up here on the hill. Lord, bless our missionaries as they are laboring in various places even around the world this morning. And uh, Lord, help us to keep that on our mind as we give uh, so that we can be faithful in our support to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my debts he paid the cost salvation complete now forever i'm free calvary covers it all calvary covers it all Calvary covers it all. No power on earth, not even the grave, can separate us from mercy and grace. He is faithful to save, though his blood never fails. Calvary covers it all. appreciate them. All right. If you have your Bibles, head on over to Acts chapter 18. That's where we're going to be continuing. Unfinished is our series because unfinished, the book of Acts is really unfinished. Um, and when we think in terms of the Acts of Acts of us, the church today, we see a whole lot of study on, on the book of Acts, the, the, the church. And, uh, but yet the church is alive and well today. God's church is uh, alive. You're part of it. You're here and you're, you're growing and you're moving. So uh, unfinished. 
But uh, as, we, as we launch into Acts chapter 18 this morning, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever come to that point in your life, and in, in, in maybe in your spiritual life, or just in the trials of life, the journey of life, that you come to that point where you just get tired? You're just not sure if you can keep going on because the, the, the journey is long, the journey is lengthy, and, uh, and, and you know that you want to keep going forward. You know that this is the right thing to do, but you're not sure that you want to do it or that you can even do it because you just get tired, or maybe it's hard, it's no longer fun, the joy is not necessarily there. And you have that moment of tension, this tension where what I want to do and what I feel like doing don't match up. And I know that happens quite often in life. What I want to do, what I know is the right thing to do, and what is the, uh, the, the thing that I'm feeling like doing don't match up. That happens all the time in our lives. And then, to make matters worse, you look around and you find a strong person. You see a strong person who's been at it for 20, 30 years, and you say, oh man, I could never be like that person. I have my life's up and down, up and down, up and down. And here's this person over here, they seem to have it all together. In the meantime, they really don't. They just seem to have it all together, all right? But on the, on the outside, it looks like they have, they've got it all together. And we start comparing yourself to, to other people. But this, this moment of tension comes in where, where okay, I want to go forward. I know it's the right thing to do, but oh, I just don't feel like it. I just don't want to go that next step. And um, today, we're going to pick up with the Apostle Paul. He's at that moment. And we're going to look at how God encourages us. Because God does encourage us. He comes along the path, and you're at that moment, and let me just share with you, that's where God wants you to be. That moment is a moment where you're probably coming to find Him, where you're going to be seeking Him, and you wouldn't be needing Him if you, if you didn't have that moment. So those are important moments in our life. And so as you come to that moment where this tension is painful, it's hard, it's ugly, life is messy, that's where God wants us to be. But let's look how God encourages us in those moments. Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, last week we left off, uh, two weeks ago we left off with Paul in Athens. And uh, we'll just put up the map here. This was his, his missionary journey. Started out at Antioch of Syria there. And he made his way across and on over into Macedonia, over through Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica and Berea, and now he comes on down. We left you off two weeks ago in Athens, and Athens was the, the great place where he, uh, where he stood up and he saw all the idols, and he said, this is the, uh, you, know, you have the idol of the unknown God, and he reveals to the people of Athens who the uh, unknown God is. He says, you're worshiping everybody, but and you're even worshiping the unknown God because you want to cover all your bases. And he says, let me reveal to you the unknown God is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He died on the cross. He came back to life again. And if you'll trust him, he will, he will do what none of these other gods can do for you. He will save your soul and give you a home in heaven, give you peace, give you life. And, and he continues on with that message. So he's done with Athens, and now he's moved on over to Corinth. And as we think of the next city, so this is actually another city. It's roughly 40 to 50 mile journey away. And we find Paul coming into the city, and he's actually at a low point in his ministry. Uh, he's on the journey. He's been away for a couple years. And, um, and let's look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, tell us this. Because on Paul's third missionary journey, he goes and he writes back letters to encourage the churches. And uh, through his encouragement, look what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and Him crucified. That's, that's where our message needs to hang. Christ and Him crucified. Now look, verse 3. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. The Apostle Paul is at a low moment as he enters into Corinthians. What happened over there in Athens? Okay, uh, here's, he, He's tired, number one. He's on, it's a 40, 50-mile journey. And he's not just jumping in a car and turning on the air conditioning. You know, he's jumping in on a cart. Somebody's pulling him. Or he's on, a, on the back of an animal. Or he's jumping on his sandals. And it's an antiquated way of travel for us today, but that's the way that their travel was, and it's a long journey. Number two, he's feeling defeated. He experienced a low ministry turnout in Athens. He got up in Athens, and Athens was a, Athens was a great 
I think when you go back and we read chapter 17, one of the greatest apologetic sermons ever in Acts chapter 17, that Paul stood up on Mars Hill and he talked to the philosophers. However, they had three responses. One was that they mocked him. And so he had the mocking, and, and many people were not ready to receive that message at all. Others said, let's just, let's just inquire. I want to know a little bit more. And yet there was a third group that said, we were believers. We, we want this. We're going to follow Christ. But it wasn't like the other towns that he had went to. There were many towns he went to, and it was like the whole town came to Christ. It was revival everywhere. People were coming to Jesus. And so Athens was, a, was not the same type of response. And by the way, our, our, our responsibility is not to create the response, but to be faithful to carry the message. And that's what Paul did. He was faithful to carry the message, but yet in Athens the response was low. And so he's coming on in to, into the next town, and he's at a low time, and he's in a moment of despair. It's hard work. The fun day is over. This is hard work. And he's having this moment, that tension is where he's at right now. And the first thing I want to show you that God encourages him. How does God encourage him at this point of his life? Um, in verse 2, Acts 18, verse 2. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born, to Pontus, uh, born in Pontus, who, had received, who recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. He meets up with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, it was quite a team, a husband and wife team. And, and you know, it's it, always interesting. You find some interesting names in the Bible, don't you? Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, here's a husband and wife team. But they had been scattered abroad. What happened during that day? There was a, a big movement of anti-Semitism. So the Jews were scattered everywhere. And in Rome particularly, they, were, they basically told them to get out. And they, 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 Corinth was a long way away from Rome. But here's a Jewish couple that had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now they are, they are come alongside of Paul. And so Paul, he's alone at this point. He had left his co-workers back in Thessalonica and Berea. And when he went to Athens, he had that great opportunity and also low response, but he was alone. And now he's gone off into the next city. He's alone, waiting for them to catch up. He left them back there. The other workers were stayed back to help these new churches get grounded to help care for these new believers. But the Apostle Paul kept going forward, and he was alone. And so at this moment here, when, he, when he's there, he's, he's trying to continue to forge ahead in the ministry. He finds a friend, Priscilla and Aquila. And that's what God does for us. When we have the... God is encouraging you, and he brings these people. That's what this church is. That's what, that's what we do here. We, we're to come alongside of and to encourage one another. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila did. As a matter of fact, if you were to go over to Romans chapter 16, as Paul's winding down Roman, uh, the book of Romans, he says this, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Uh, greet also the church that meets at their house. They were workers. They were co-workers together. They banded together for the cause of Christ. And so Paul found a friend. He found somebody that would encourage him, that would pray with him. And so this was the beginning of something new, a, a, a point of encouragement for him, new friends in Christ. Uh, God provides people to, uh, in our lives that will encourage us. Paul was a tent maker. He had a trade. And uh, part of the tent making, Priscilla and Aquila were also tent makers. So he comes in and they are, they're tent making, they're, they're doing their work together. But imagine, while they're doing the work, they're just not working. They're encouraging one another in the things of God. And so the, this, this, this friendship was about to make an encouragement for the Apostle Paul. You know, we look at the scripture and you find, uh, here's Paul a tent maker. You don't often hear much about him being a tent maker. Um, as we've been studying through the book of Acts, we, we haven't seen this, this before, that he was a tent maker. Now we see that he's a tent maker. We, we talk that he was a very brilliant man. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees before he followed Christ. Uh, he, he persecuted Christians. We saw all these things, but we never saw him as somebody who did hands-on work. And um, if you were to, to find the, the reality of the matter, it was that 
All the rabbis, as the rabbis were trained, uh, they were required to learn a trade. They were schooled in theology, but they were also schooled to learn a, a trade so that they could support themselves. And that's what the Apostle Paul did. Not only did he have a, a uh, background of theology and a background of the Bible and on all the education, he also had a hands-on trade. And right now, uh, part of the low point, too, is that he has got to go out. He's got to keep working. He has to provide. And he's make, he has to pay, you know, keep, keep, takes money to fuel this ministry. So he's out there. He's doing, doing the job, hands-on working. And we see that God uses him in this manner. Today we call tent makers, uh, you hear the term tent maker, uh, we re- typically referring to a bivocational pastor or a bi- bivocational minister. In other words, he has a job, but he's, he may be the pastor and he has a full-time job. Or maybe a missionary and he, he has a full-time job. And, uh, and they're supporting themselves so, so the church doesn't need to support them. Um, also, there are, there are tent makers today as we think of missionaries that want to go behind behind certain parts to be a missionary. I'd go in the Middle East. Many times they're tent makers. They go in as professors. There was a fellow here in our church many years ago. He was a professor down at California University. He left here and he went overseas to go behind enemy lines, if you will, and to be able to work and share the gospel. And that's how God used him. So, so today, but when we see a tent maker, it has that idea of a bivocation. Yes, I have a job, but I'm using it for, for God. And I want to go out and I want to minister for, for the kingdom cause. Here, the Apostle Paul is actually making the tents. He's working hard. And, but yet, yeah, let's look and see what else happens here. Not only does he make the tents, but it says that he went down into the synagogue. And he would reason... And he's trying to reason with them. He's, what he's reasoning is, hey, look at, this, look at the scriptures. Remember, we said that he started in the synagogue in all these towns because it was the common place. It would be the people that had somewhat of a foundation of, of, of the Bible. Oh, yes, you understand the Ten Commandments, and we would take them over there. You understand um, the, these, these prophecies, and he would show them how Jesus fulfilled them. That would be his beginning point. The rest of the town didn't have that beginning point. Uh, and we're, we're going to here in a little bit how far off they were from that but that's where he started now verse 5 when Saul and when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia Paul was compelled by the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ now Silas and Timothy are here they join up with him they catch up with him they're the they're friends of the ministry they they worked with him they come up they've joined him and they have brought him a gift if you go over in the book of Corinthians, you're going to find out that they bring him a financial gift. It's missionary support. The other churches are sending missionary support for Paul. Paul is encouraged. You know, when we send our missionary support out to this day, uh, when we send, send it out to those missionaries, tremendous encouragement. Tremendous encouragement that somebody, number one, is thinking of you. And number two, that, somebody is, uh, that they're able to receive that gift and what, what the need that they had. But as we're looking here this morning, the encouragement they received, they received fellowship, they received a family. It was like God put people alongside them to help them get their heads up, to be looking on to Christ. And I'd like to encourage you as a church today that fellowship with encouraging friends is vital. It is absolutely vital that you have that in your Christian walk. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't come to this earth and die and, and come back to life again so we could take our faith and go be extremely personal with it, you know? I, I've, I've talked to so many people through the years, well, my faith is very personal. Yes, it is personal. But it's also something that we share. We're to share it with our neighbors to bring them to Christ, and we're also to share it with the community of believers. Now, there's no way you can get to know everybody in this large group here. But you can get to know three or four people. And you can get to know a small grouping of people. Uh, you're not supposed to go this alone. You can't get very far. You're never going to be able to go far in the Christian life alone. Um, we're, gonna, we're starting groups here at the church, starting September 16th, Wednesday night. As you look at, look at those things, we have, there's four. There's going to be, I think, another one being offered. And, and we're offering some groups so that we can get people together. See, growth happens better in circles, not rows. You know, when, you, when you think about it, you come in a row, you get to hear one man's talking for this half hour, and then, boy, I, maybe I have a question. Maybe I'd like to just connect a little bit more. I'd like to know more. 
That's what happens when we get into these small groups. We sit around the table, and we talk about it, and we can communicate. And there's an exchange, and we grow that way. But it's also that we're coming alongside of somebody who actually cares. There's, there's somebody, who, somebody else who's living this out as I am trying to live it out. Somebody's growing in Christ who prays for me, who encourages me. That's what happens at Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights. That's what happens at Thursday night with 724. That's what's going to be happening in all of our groups across the church. We want to see groups happen. The, the, the Wednesday night groups will hopefully be a, a taste of groups, and then we get groups going all, and meeting in homes all different times as God allows it. But that is where growth happens. And so we're to take that to the next level. I'd like to encourage you to, there's three areas to get involved in. Number one is worship. You're here today. This is the worship service. Uh, but that is not the extent of the church. This is one part of the church. Uh, let's take it to the next step and get into a growth group uh, where we're coming around God's Word, being able to share, bear one another's burdens, be honest with each other, and grow. i uh, also get into a service group. Uh, you know, as we look around the church, we need, we need help in the children's ministry, youth ministries, adult ministries. There's room to get involved. And as you get involved, you find a friend. And that is the moment of service. And as, as you're serving together, you find people of common cause. And you're working together, and you're praying together, and you're trying to move towards the end result. It's so important. So important. Uh, But we need to invest in these relationships. Prepare for future hardships by engaging in current relationships. Prepare for future hardships by engaging in in current relationships. In other words, there is coming a time in your life. Right now you say, I don't need any more friends. I have enough, right? I I don't need that. And, And you don't realize that you need that community like that. Invest in those current relationships now. Because there's coming a time when your world is going to be rocked. And you are going to need the community of faith around you. You're going to need the community of believers who will come alongside you and say, Yes, I'm, going, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Ken. Yes, I'm praying for you. Yes, it was hard. Let's keep going. Because those moments of tension, they're coming. Whether you can see them or not. One day you wake up and all of a sudden your whole world has changed. I know as I look back in my life, I can see different groups that I was in. Uh, Since I was a little kid here in the church, second grade, you know, came in on the the buses, they threw you, all the second grade boys, where'd you go? You went to the second grade classroom, right? All us second grade boys, we sat around a table, and they opened up the Bible. And what happened? I was in a group. And I started to make some friends. And people started to care for me. And I started to meet some of the teachers and the older people. And I st- and, and began to be part of the community of faith here. And began to become encouraged and challenged in my faith. I have a good friend of mine, Reynolds Williams. We've gone to Trinidad for... when I was just reminded of this the other day about our trips to Trinidad. Uh, when we first started working here in, in the youth ministry. Take these groups down to Trinidad. Reynold Williams was a good friend of mine in my college years that we spent a lot of time praying together and encouraging one another. And we lost contact for a long time. So, you know, Facebook and Internet, those are good tools to find old friends, right? So I got on there, got on the Internet and tracked him down. He's a pastor in South Carolina. We had a great phone call. And, man, it's just so encouraging. Even though we've been out of touch, we got together. And he's like, hey, Ken, we need to get together. Because we need each other. We help encourage one another. And I want to encourage you this morning. Find that person. Find that group. It doesn't have to be 25 people. You're never going to... You go into a group of 30 people, you're never going to get to know them all. A group of six or eight people where you start to get to know people and build friendships and start to, to grow and have somebody that will come alongside of you. That's what God did for the Apostle Paul here. Verse 6, when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his, his garments and said to them, your blood, be on Gent- uh, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean, for now I will go to the Gentiles. So here he's reached hard times again. Uh, another rendering says that, but when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, they were, they were abusive. Listen, this was, this was a tough time. This was kind of what typically happened. The, the stronger that he took the message of Jesus, all of a sudden the opposition would arise. So he's been going into the synagogue. He's in the town of Corinth. He goes into the synagogue and he keeps taking the message of Jesus to the Jews, but now they start to react. 
And as he's, he's gone a little bit more full-time in the ministry, as the, the gift came, and he goes on, and he's, he's carrying, the, carrying it, but now the reaction has come. And I want you to see here that he, he basically, he shakes the dust off of his clothes. Uh, you know, it's like as if to say, not one speck of dust from that synagogue is going to be on me anymore. I am done. I am moving on. I'm moving to the Gentiles. And then his, what he does there is he's, he's basically echoing the words of Ezekiel from Ezekiel chapter 33, how, that, how that, that the gospel would go out to the Gentiles. And so he's moving, that, the, this, he's moving his ministry. His, his ministry is being changed. And he's shaking the dust off and he's moving forward. He's encouraged by his faith, faithful friends, his partners in the work, and even though the crowd doesn't respond favorably, he now turns to the Gentiles. So God closed one door. Now the next thought in your notes is that God opens door. God encourages us when he opens doors. He gives us open doors. This door was shut. He's out there ministering, and God shut the door on the synagogue. He said, you know, th th this is not going to work anymore. So he leaves. Now look at verse 7. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So he moves to the, uh, right next door. He, he, was, he, was, he was following uh, following God's plan. He went into the synagogue trying to tell these people about Jesus. The door closes. And at that moment, that's where the tension begins. When the doors close for us, that's where our tension begins because I wanted life to go this way and life is really going this way. I want to go. I want to keep going, but man, this is hard. He could have easily just been done. But he goes on to the next thing, to the open door. Uh, it's a scene change. And I want to encourage you with your life. Sometimes the door is closed. God closes doors of ministry. God closes doors for many opportunities in our life. And we get so disappointed and so upset when a, when a door is closed. But in the meantime, God is opening another door. And when we see this other door open up, we, we get really encouraged. Because the work of God continues. Even though the way I was planning, even though what I thought, even though what I want to do and what I'm feeling are different, God is opening up the door here. All right, this is a common reaction. When the door's closed, we experience pain. The other thought in your notes there, number three, is that God encourages us with his provision. God encourages us with his provision. Uh, the Apostle Paul here, they received gifts. When Silas and Timothy came, they brought gifts. There was financial support. But more importantly than that, we see him providing in the ministry with peoples responding to the gospel. Look here. Verse 8, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. He moved his ministry, went next door, right, to the, right next door to the synagogue, and God gives him Crispus. Isn't that an interesting name? Kind of reminds you of a morning cereal, right? Crispus, you know, where do they, where do they, where do they name these guys, right? Crispus. Crispus was the ruler of the synagogue. And as the ruler of the synagogue, he was one of the most influential people. And God went right to Crispus. And Crispus is a follower of Jesus. So more doors are opening, more provision is happening. He came to faith in Christ. It's very interesting that God took the main ruler of the synagogue and takes him next door to Justice's house. And now he's a follower of Christ. And then it says that to many Corinthians... Now remember, the Corinthians did not have this foundation right here. They did not know the things of God like the Jewish people did in the synagogue. And so when, when, this, when this change happened, they went out. The Apostle Paul is sharing with them the same message that Christ died on the cross, came back to life again, and that they could have eternal life. But I want you to think with me here. It says that they were getting baptized. They believed and were baptized. Baptism does not get you into heaven. We can't say that enough here. Because it is such a common misconception in our day. That if I do something, that I can get to heaven. Getting baptized doesn't get you into heaven. Only a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and came back to life. And, and, and came back to life that you may have eternal life. By simple childlike faith, believe and receive his free gift. That's it. 
Baptism is the next step of growth, but it's an important step. These people, they did not delay. They weren't waiting for a time that was convenient. They got baptized. Let's take the same approach. As you're growing in Christ, you've come to open your heart in Jesus Christ. The next step is baptism. Take it. Let's, let's move forward and take that next step. As he walked around here, he's bringing the Corinthians to Christ. Now think with me too, what, what, what was it like in, Corinth, in, in this town of Corinth? Uh, Corinth was really an interesting place. There was uh, three quarters of a million people in this town, 750,000 people. That was a huge place. It was a commercial center. It was a, it was a world-famous emporium. Uh, the city was uh, situated in a place that all the trade routes came right through there, north and south, east and west. They had a lot of maritime merchants coming through. All, all, the, all the water trade would come through, water routes, and they would stop in there. And there was a lot of maritime merchants settled there. The Greek god of the sea, whom the Romans called Neptune, was worshipped there. Now remember, in these old cities, Corinth and Athens, they, they were worshipping these Greek gods. So we see them worshiping here Neptune, the god of the sea. In uh, several weeks ago, we talked about when you worship these, these Greek gods, you were basically worshiping what you were into, the thing that, uh, that helped you the most. Paul landed here. He must have seen the importance of the city because of the, the wealth, the, the trade routes, and the gospel could be launched and spread far from there. They were also proud. They were proud people. They were proud of their city, proud of their wealth, proud of their buildings. They were proud of the Isthmian Games, uh, which were hosted every other year. It was second only to the Olympic Games. And so they, they had a lot of notoriety, a lot of fame. But secondly, this town of Corinth was also associated in everybody's mind with immorality. Behind the city, nearly 2,000 feet above sea level, uh, rose the rocky eminence called Acrocorinth. Uh, it, on its flat summit stood the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And this was really a dark, dark culture. Because when you start to think about this, here's what happened with this temple. This, this temple for all to see uh, unto Aphrodite, the goddess of love. A thousand female slaves served Aphrodite and roamed the city streets by night as harlots. There was sexual promiscuity of Corinth was, was everywhere. It was rampant. Immorality was all over the place. And it was a terrible, terrible place. It was a dark place. The sexual immorality was rampant. As these thousand slaves to Aphrodite would go out and practice their trade at night. And so as we think about this, we think of the dark, dark place. No wonder in the book of Corinthians, Paul said, flee sexual immorality. Run from this. This is going to destroy you. Run away from this was in that setting. And so Paul sees a dark world there. And, and as a matter of fact, to Corinthianize meant to practice immorality. You know, could you imagine that? Your city is known. Just say Corinthianize, you know. Be like saying Pittsburgh eyes. Corinthianize. To Corinthianize was to practice se sexual immorality. To, to be a Corinthianess was to be a harlot. And so it was a rampant, rampant dark culture. And the gospel message changes everything. It really does. The gospel message changes everything. They were worshiping these false gods and in the midst of the sexual immorality they're trying to get something and they're really becoming a slave. And G the message of Jesus is that he died on the cross to set you free. You don't have to go back there anymore. You don't have to be a slave to Aphrodite. You don't have to be a slave. You don't have to... All these things that, that you thought were... They're making these promises and they're not coming true. The promise of Jesus was, follow me, I'll give you eternal life. Jesus came down and paid the price. And so the, our message was greatly different. Christ freed them from such a state. And in a dark world of culture that Paul is once again ministering, God opens the doors and he provides response to the ministry. People come to Christ. The, the Corinthian church is established now and it starts to grow. Paul's taking a step of faith here. And uh, he stepped out and now he sees the hand of God in his ministry. So think about this. As Paul, Paul could have missed so many opportunities. When Paul landed at Athens, it was hard work. 
And he could have missed the whole opportunity, the great opportunity on Mars Hill. When Paul landed in Corinth, he could have just looked at how ugly and how messy the culture was and just stayed way away from it all. But you know what he did? He took a step of faith. And he went in there with a gospel message, and the gospel message changes lives. It changes lives. It comes from the inside. It's this Jesus who died on the cross. He conquered death. And these people do not have to be a slave anymore to, their, to these false gods, to these idols. And I would like to say this morning that you don't have to be a slave anymore either. You don't have to be a slave to these false gods that we worship in our culture, to, to, the, to the God of entertainment, to sexual immorality, to any of these things. We don't have to be a slave to those things anymore because Jesus died to set us free. And when you come and you realize the gospel, you realize the grace because God loves you so much. He loves you no matter what has happened. And he paid that price for you. That is an incredible type of love. And now I can respond to him. And as I walk in his grace, I respond and I get to flee those things. But I don't have to go back to my old ways. It's so exciting. Paul was encouraged in God's plans. And uh, get engaged. I want to encourage you, get engaged. Go out and serve. Jump in a place to serve. Do something. It's whenever you get engaged that you get encouraged. And that's what happened for the Apostle Paul. He got engaged and he got encouraged. He went out there and he said, I, I'm engaged in the work of God, what God has done for me. And he got encouraged and, and, and he, he, was, he, he did the work of God and he got off the bench. You're never going to be encouraged sitting on the bench. You know, when I, when I go down the power game, I love going to those things. Um, I don't know anything about how to hit a, ball, a baseball 400 feet. I would love to know how to do that, right? But I am really happy to sit on the bench and cheer and scream and, and be all happy. The Christian life, don't be a fan. Jump in. Swing the bat. Because it's when we get in the game that God gets to do the, the work. And you get to be encouraged at that moment. Number four th this morning, God encourages us with his protection. God encourages us with his protection. The typical order of events now. Paul would go into the town, he would share the gospel, and people would become irate, and then he would go off, and there would be a lot of persecution, many times being physically beaten. Look what God tells him here in verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not be silent. For I am with you. No one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. The Lord speaks to Paul in a vision. And it's the Lord. It's, this is Jesus here. If you look at how, how, he was, how Luke used the word Lord all the way up until now, he's referring it to the Lord Jesus. And so he says the Lord, the Lord Jesus here is referring. He says, do not be afraid. Whenever uh, an angel would come with a message, whenever we'd hear divine, uh, a divine message, would always start out, do not be afraid. That was kind of the Old Testament language. Do not be afraid. And you know, Paul has fear here. Paul has definite fear. Fear of potential uh, problems, potential beating, potential uh, hurt and pain coming. But yet, the, uh, Jesus here tells him, do not be afraid. And then he goes on and he says, for I am with you. Do what I've told you to do. Don't be silent. Keep speaking for me, for I am with you. This is what Pastor Jim shared with us last week. The presence of God. He didn't just tell him, now this is where I get encouraged. He didn't just tell the Apostle Paul, go out and you better just be obedient. Why should you do this, Paul? Well, because it's the right thing to do. No, he says, Paul, go do the right thing because I am with you. And we, we can understand that. Now I can go out and I can do these things. I can accomplish these things in my life, not because I have some sort of willpower, but because I have the presence of the Lord. He said, I am with you. God doesn't tell him to just, just do this in your own. He was fortified with the presence of Jesus Christ and the protection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 118 says this, that the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Um, he was, he, the presence of the Lord changes everything. Hebrews 13.5, Jesus says, 
the Apostle Paul tells us of Jesus that he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the word here in the original language there is, uh, is really, I will never, ever, never leave you. It's a pretty strong statement. I will never, ever, never leave you nor forsake you. I heard uh, one time about a young, young Bible, Bible college kid. He was out and uh, working with some shut-ins, and he, he went in to, to tell a shut-in and impress her with his knowledge. And it was an elderly lady who couldn't get out to church, so he's telling her this verse, and he says three times, I will never, never, never leave you. And the elderly lady looked back at him and says, Well, God, God may have to tell you Greek fellows three times, but once is enough for me, right? And, uh, and, and, but you know what? Here's what he's saying. I will never, ever leave you. It's so important. And when we start to understand this, that the gospel is about Jesus coming and being with us. Emmanuel, God with us, the first part of Matthew. And at the last part of Matthew, lo, I am with you till the very end of the age. The way that we go out and make disciples, the way that we go out and carry the message is not in our own power. It's is in the presence of the Lord. Lo, I am with you till the very end of the age. He'll always be there. He's with us. He's promised his presence. Um, verse 11 says this, And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So Paul stays there. He has the presence of the Lord. He has the protection of God upon him. And so therefore he stays. He continues his ministry. And at the end of that year and a half, the rising comes up again. And verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or of wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be the judge of such matters. Verse 16, And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no, no notice of these things. And what was happening here was that God was protecting Paul. And in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of the dark days, God was shining the light. It's like winter sunshine. You know, we don't often think of those two words in, in Pennsylvania, do you? Winter and sunshine, they don't go together, right? But uh, when you think about winter sunshine, that's what Paul's life was like. He had dark days, there was pain, and God was putting his presence. It was like the sunshine was coming on. A peasant living in the woods composed a piece of music called Winter Sunshine. In this piece, against the subdued and even somber background, there stood out melodious patches of beauty and joy. When asked about the inspiration behind this piece, he replied that he had always held that the happiest man on the face of the earth is the man who can make the most out of the sunshine that breaks up and brightens the winter. For a Christian, the burst of sunshine that God gives us in the midst of your deepest crisis and evidence is evidence that he is with you, that he will see you through. And if we can just begin to put our trust on an eternal God, all this world is temporary. We're going to be here 100 years max. I'm putting my faith in a God who's eternal. And he's thinking about 10,000 years from now. He's thinking about me forever. And I have got to pull my head up out of the dark and put my eyes onto Jesus from where my help comes. Let's bow in prayer. As we close our service this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Respond to the good news. The good news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and he came back to life again for you. And the way that you receive that free gift of eternal life is by childlike faith. Just believe and receive. Believe that he is who he said he is. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the one who died on the cross, came back to life again. And trust him with your soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So this morning, if you'd like to 
open your heart and begin that relationship with Christ, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. You can just quietly pray this right now in your seat. Just call on the Lord something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you right now. I'm a sinner. I know that I've offended your holiness. But God, today I found out that you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life for me again. And I trust you right now. I trust you with my heart, with my soul. I invite you in this morning. And if you just prayed that prayer this morning, you mean business with God. It's not the words, it's not my words, it's what God says. God's word says that you have begun a relationship with him, a home in heaven, a life of freedom. I encourage you to share that with somebody today, what God is doing in your heart. And for others in this room, maybe you're dealing with these moments of despair, discouragement. It's dark, and you haven't been looking at the sunshine that God has been putting in your life. There, there's people around you, but you're not opening up. You're not spending time with other believers. You're not growing in Christ, you're not serving, you're not stepping out of the boat and making a moment to serve. You'll be encouraged whenever you go out and you take that step of faith. I'd like to ask you today to, to identify that area and give it to God and say, Lord, by your strength, I will take these steps to see your encouragement in my life. I will follow you. I will get involved in a group. I will get involved in serving. I'll be faithful in learning who you are. Father God, I come before you and I ask that you'll be with each person in this room. May they respond to the Almighty God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thank you that you died on the cross. Your gospel changes everything about us. And it's not something that we change, it's something that you do the changing. We're just so thankful for that, Lord. Thankful that we don't have to be slaves anymore. I don't have to worship these things of this world that are so short-lived. God, be honored and adored in this place as we respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together as we close our service. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, feel free to do so. Let's sing to the Lord. The Savior alone carried the cross. For all of my debts, he paid the cost. Salvation complete, now forever I'm free. Calvary covers it all. And Calvary covers it all. My sin and shame don't count anymore. All praise to the one who has reigned.